Hello, and welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today is an old friend and hopefully another repeated guest on the show, Michael Borowski. Mike works in the financial industry up in Illinois and is an old friend from my high school days, a music fanatic who enjoys correcting people on their poor listening choices, and finally, a football legend at Hall High School. Welcome, Mike, and thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. That's not, that's not an understatement. Football legend. Football legend. Uh, 25 years ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Mike, let's jump right into this. What is your favorite album and how did you discover it? Steve, I'm going to go with Pearl Jam Versus. I discovered it because it was actually the first Pearl Jam CD I ever bought. I never bought 10. I was actually a big uh, Nirvana guy and uh, really um, bought that one along with 970,000 other people in the first week that it came out. And uh, it was the number one fastest selling record of all time until Garth Brooks's uh, double live album five years later, like broke it for the most like albums sold in one week. So... I actually have the old school, like, uh, you know, eco pack that came out that was on the first, like, you know, 100,000 of them sold and uh, kind of started my uh, my obsession a little bit with uh, Pearl Jam. Yeah, you were known as the Pearl Jam guy in, in high school. You, know, you were you were real deep into them. He's wearing the shirt. Yeah, the shirt is older than the album. I'm surprised you never owned 10 or didn't buy it, buy it offhand. That was, that, that surprised me. Yeah, I actually, um, my cousin Danny had the cassette and I remember saying, Oh, just record the three songs that are videos. I, I, you know, it, I like it, but it's not, Never mind. You know, I'd rather, you know, listen to that. I think never mind Cause never mind like blew my mind. Like, smells like teen spirit like the first time i heard it like i you know was 11 years old and it was the first time that music was not my parents you know yeah i i mean i used to deliver the bureau county republican paper listening to led zeppelin 4 at like nine years old like and or the beatles like let it be or something and then you know it was alternative nation at like 11 o'clock at night and my cousin and I were watching MTV and you heard that guitar riff and it was like, Whoa, this is something for us. And yeah, like 10 was cool. Like I thought like alive and even flow were great. And like Jeremy, obviously the video was like really, you know, iconic and everything, but versus just was always the one to me, like all the way through was just like my first record with Pearl jam. Like that was like, like I understood it, you know, I was 13 instead of like 10, 11 years old. Now I know it's not a big difference, but you know, when you're a kid, you know, obviously cause we're the same age, but it really like, that's like the first time, like you're like, Oh, this is what music is. And like, this is like stuff I could really get behind completely different game changer to me. 
Yeah, I feel the same way about several albums, you know, in that time frame. It, it was a, a great time to be a, a young teenager music wise with the, the all the different variations of that that label alternative coming out. It was Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, you know, all just hit a, a gigantic stride there, right there at the, the beginning of the 90s. And and it was wonderful. It, I, it was. I mean, I just looked at the... Um the best album chart. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, website where it like charts all like every year, every album. And um, I was surprised that the number one album of 1993 was Siamese dream, which it's a great record. And they're from Chicago, which, you know, I, Billy Corgan's is kind of a, he's kind of hard to swallow sometimes. Um, And then Pearl jam versus was like six. And I was like, really? I was just surprised because it's based off of like ratings and sound scans and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. well, I, I, th- I think I can narrow down the, the difference there is videos. Right, right, right. You had the video for today and the video for disarm that were, that were all, all, all over MTV. Whereas I don't think Pearl Jam had any actual videos for these singles. They released them, you know, through the, uh, through billboard, right. but they, they did not actually have any MTV videos for these tracks. No. And they actually didn't have a video until 1998's uh, Do the Evolution, which is off their fifth record, after Jeremy came out. So, honestly, it's it's amazing that they sell they, that they sold that many records in a week. Oh, absolutely. There was no promotion for it. And, I mean, they had four singles that were released, and... I was looking at my phone today, and I I do have all four singles from that record. Like, because and I physically I I was gonna bring them to my up to my apartment and like have them all lined up, you know, um, along like with the uh, C- CD singles. Yes, I had the CD singles. Um, <laughs> I mean, and what's ridiculous about the CD singles from uh, Versus is there's only one actual B side, like out of all four of them. And that's the song alone, which is like most Pearl Jam fans know that one that we had to like chase that one down forever. But the rest of them are live um, versions of songs. And in fact, the dissident single was the 1994 concert in Atlanta on uh, April 3rd, right before Kurt Cobain committed suicide. So it was kind of like a holy grail is to get that. Cause back in the day, I mean, the kids listen now they you know, you can get anything you want, but to get like bootlegs, you had to like have somebody who knew someone in a college that could yeah. get you a bootleg and maybe it was recorded. Okay. And this was like, you had to go chase down the other dissident singles to put the album together. And I actually found the album on um, Amazon the other day. It was like 20 bucks bought it because this April 3rd show is like um like legendary because Kurt Cobain actually just got out of rehab and he was like talking about it and then obviously you know five days later he killed himself but the b-sides were that's untip it wasn't typical because 10 had you know one of the greatest b-sides of all time which was yellow Ledbetter, and that was on Jeremy yellow Ledbetter was never on an album and oh I, th- I thought it was on Vitalogy no. I didn't know that. No, no. Um, it's the, the B-sides on there. Is, it's 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 one of the greatest like cassette singles of all time. It's Jeremy is a single. 
and then it's Footsteps, which is a great acoustic song um, that was actually part of the uh, original tape that the guys from Pearl Jam sent down to Eddie to like sing on. And then Yell Ledbetter, which if you've ever seen Pearl Jam live, that's pr- pretty much like the last song of the night and everybody loses their mind, you know, when they they hear it. You know, it's uh, Mike McCready guitar solo. I did have the privilege to see them at, at uh, the first Bonnaroo I went to. Nice. And it was great. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, Jack Johnson was on stage before them and Eddie Vedder joined Jack Johnson at the end of his. And then Jack Johnson actually joined Pearl Jam for a, a few songs. And that's, that's kind of what they do. Like I saw him at Lollapalooza in 2007 or nine. And, uh, I remember Ben Harper was a closing act on Friday night I was like, oh, I've seen Ben Harper open for him, and I've seen these guys a hundred. I've seen Ben Harper a hundred times. Well, Eddie came out and sang with Ben Harper, and so I missed it. And then that year before, Kings of Leon used to open up for Pearl Jam, and that Saturday night show was Kings of Leon, and Eddie came out and sang with them. So, like, they really kind of give back to like the guys that have opened up for him, and some of the band. I mean, the Kings of Leon now is like you know. Then a couple years later, they were the headliners at. Lollapalooza and Bonnaroo and all those places Mm -hmm. and it's it's crazy to me that you know I tell my wife she's like oh you saw Kings Leon open up for somebody I'm like yeah like that was Pearl Jam man like and I and you know just a little you know a little quick thing I've seen him 20 times wow yeah I've seen him in England I've seen him actually in Seattle I've seen him in Philadelphia most of the times I've been in the Midwest but yeah, I've seen I've actually seen them do um the 10 record from start to finish in Philadelphia. I missed the one they they actually played verses that same year uh from start to finish in uh Greenville, uh South Carolina, but I don't know how I'd ever known to even go to Greenville, South Carolina to uh go see them play them, but I was a casual Pearl Jam fan. You know, I liked the hits that were just on the radio. I didn't own any Pearl Jam albums. I was more into the pumpkins and, and yeah. stayed, stayed in the classic rock range. And then eventually the Foo Fighters, that's that sort of thing. But the, it wasn't until I was in the military that I sat and listened to more Pearl Jam, more Soundgarden and, and more like Alice in Chains. And, and unfortunately 10 years later, but that discovered all that music. Um, but one thing that was kind of neat that I, uh, discovered recently was that I didn't know that temple, the dog came well before all of those bands kind of really start hit, hit it. I thought temple, the dog was like a super group after they had their main hits. Oh yeah. No, it's crazy because they brought Eddie up to like record after, um, the original lead singer. Now I, I just say don't have to like, I, I guess I could go through a little bit, but, um, mother love bone was the original band. Um, that Stone mm-hmm. and Jeff were in, the bass player and the guitar player. And um, fortunately, Andrew died from a drug overdose right before their album came out. The lead singer of the band, Andrew Wood, was best friends with Chris Cornell. And so when he died, Chris and Matt Cameron, who is now actually in Pearl Jam, but he was also in Soundgarden, the drummer, and then uh, Stone and Jeff and Chris, like, we're going to make an album. And the only reason, like, Eddie's even on there is they were doing Hunger Strike and Eddie, like, just walked up to the mic and, like, started singing that part. And they were, and he was like, man, I really shouldn't do that. I apologize. <laughs> and they're like, no, we actually need that. And, like, 
to be fair, like Chris Cornell has got one of the greatest voice rock voices of all time. Yeah. Like that guy can hit any note that you could ever imagine, you know, and then but Eddie's voice is just such a low baritone that it offsets Chris really well. And when I was a kid, I always thought the same thing, like, oh, this is great super group, blah, blah, blah. And I always loved, you know, Hunger Strike. Like that was the song. That was the song. But honestly, say hello to heaven. Especially now that since Chris has passed. Like, mm-hmm. that's a, man, that's a tearjerker, dude. Like, just how good he's, like, because that's his best friend that died. And he wrote this song for him, and he sings, like, every little bit of his emotion and, like, his soul into that song. And that's why it's amazing. That that whole thing is, that whole record's actually really good. It's, it's, the whole thing is great. Like, and then that's kind of how it got me, like, honestly, it's almost like how I got into, like, Soundgarden because Bad Motorfinger didn't come out until after that anyways, and that had Jesus Christ Pose and uh, Outshined. Um, that all Black came out days, in 90. Yeah. yeah, and that that all came out in 91 too with 10. Like, that was a pretty good year for music in 91. Oh, definitely. It's not, it's not a 93 versus, but, you know, whatever. I guess things <laughs> aren't. So... Do you have specific tracks on this album or do you do, do you prefer like just to go from front to back to me? Like I always want to, you know, and I'm sure you're the same way because we grew up, you know, in the same small town and obviously probably didn't have like the coolest sound systems or anything in our cars. I mean, I know I had a Ford Escort from 1989 with the tape deck that barely worked. Um, but I always wanted like you wanted to play that CD front to back. Because especially the the way it starts out is, I don't know if I'm as a movie guy that you are, you know, high fidelity. I always think when he talks about making that uh, mix is you start out really hot and then you turn it up another notch and then you cool it off in the third song. And honestly, versus starts that way. It's go. And then daughter, and it slows everything down. Don't call me daughter. So to me, that's a great start, and I and I love that. And then it gets back, it gets into like a couple of their political songs, and you know, like that's the one thing a lot of people don't realize about Pearl Jam is they are a political band. This album is it, this is the first time that I ever dove into the lyrics of this album. Yeah, yeah. and because I'll be honest, sometimes Eddie Vedder, I can't understand the lyrics unless I'm reading them. <laughs> He's a mumbler. He is. He, yeah. he definitely is. But I was. I'm not really shocked, but just kind of 
eye open to how political this album really is. I mean, they cover uh, everything from say fame to pressure, child abuse, learning disabilities, racial inequality, gun control, political refugees, small town regret, and others. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's crazy because it's not like, you know, it's, it doesn't beat you over the head like Rage Against the Machine does. Like Rage comes out yeah, and it's true. like, hey, we are, this is what we're going to say. Um, you know. Yeah, Rage, Rage is more damn the man, save the empire, we're coming at you. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and Eddie, you know, and, and all the songs that he wrote have like real life consequences and things that happen. Like with Glorified G, which is about gun control, um, you know, that whole song started because the drummer bought a gun. And in fact, he bought two. And that's exactly how the conversation goes is him and Jeff, I met the bass player, were like, he's like, hey, I bought a gun. And Jeff was like, why? He goes, oh, in fact, I bought two. And he goes, why don't you worry about killing somebody? He goes, that's all right, man. I believe in God. And like Eddie just sat there and listened to these guys have this conversation and he wrote the lyrics down. And it's funny because when I was a kid, I always thought it said glorified version of a pelican. <laughs> I I don't know why a pelican would, you know, have be, there'd be a glorified version of a pelican. But I didn't realize this. I mean, honestly, until I was like in college that it was pellet gun. And then with WMA, which is, you know, white men aggression, white male American. Sorry. was actually out having a cigarette while he was recording the album and there was a black homeless guy out there and he was talking to him and all of a sudden these policemen came up and like were harassing him but Eddie was like hey this guy's fine don't worry about it and they were ignoring him and so he just kind of wrote that because of that like hey you like you're I'm fine I'm clean just because I'm a white guy like how does that work and so those were two of the big political songs and I guess you know, in a way, like it shaped me politically, like unknowingly, you know, like the way I think about the world and see things, because there are some people that go to Pearl Jam shows and they're there for the music. And Eddie does go on rants and everything about, you know, the BP, there's a BP um, uh, plant in Indiana that would spill out into Lake Michigan. And there was a big thing with Lollapalooza that he was saying, don't go to BP Amico and all this. And but he's all they also have a pretty good um, charity. It's called Vitology Foundation, where they support the environment, uh, homelessness and um, native tribes. When I said before I, that I went to Seattle for the show, they had this it's they called they were called the home and away shows. And the home shows were to help the homelessness in Seattle. And they raised like 12 million dollars for the homeless in Seattle. So like. They some people, you know, they get annoyed by the political stuff. But, you know, there's some good stuff that they do. They give everything back to charity. So it's they did that actually um, during the uh, the shows in Wrigley. They the Cubs care stuff. They actually matched the Cubs care and donated towards Cubs care. So 
till they, but they, they stand with what they believe in. And, you know, I, you gotta give them that, you know, if, if anything. Yeah. I'm not one of those guys that says I won't listen to a song because of a political message or whether you agree or disagree with the lyrics. That's if I went through my musical journey with, with that attitude, then half the sixties, you know, I, you know, that's, there's right. so much good music. I mean, but half of it was political, you know, protest songs and, and people making their political statements is, is part of, of the art. And, uh, as long as it's a good song, right. If WMA didn't have, you know, the, you know, starts out with those funky drums and there's all kinds of good music in there as well. If it wasn't a good song, then I probably would skip it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 as long as it's a good song. Yeah. And the, and the Tabata on that, the way he plays that, you know, because Dave's obviously not the drummer anymore. He was the drummer for like two, three albums, probably like two, three albums. That was an interesting drum technique that they use. And and I will say like, though, you know, right, left wing, all that stuff. But, you know, those guys are like, I, I was actually at a concert in Chicago um, where they brought up, I believe the guy was in, oh, he was in the army and his his girlfriend surprised him uh with tickets to the show people write in to like pearl jam and they're like we're gonna bring him up on stage you know to hear his favorite song and i was standing i was like in the fourth row and the guy gets on his knee and asks his girlfriend to marry him at the pearl jam show nice during his favorite song so like they are like that is the one thing you know they might be a little left wing but they do the one they support you know, the guys in the, in the armed services, like a hundred percent and like give people not give them opportunities, but like, I mean, who else is getting the opportunity to like do that? Like it's your favorite song. Your, like, and I'm sure they, that was their wedding song and everything. But I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, like to watch this guy who's on leave, ask his girlfriend to marry him, like in front of 50,000 people at Wrigley field. Like it's, it's amazing. Like the opportunities they give like people, like, and memories that they make, even for me, like, I don't know who this guy is. Like it, it was on, um, the DVD let's play too. Like, um, if, even if you're not a Pearl Jam fan, even if you're not a Cubs fan, or if you're one of the other, you got to watch it because they tie in the world series run with Pearl Jam stuff. It's awesome. And now that it's five years away, I saw that I was going to, I was going to say and now that it's five years ago, like, you know, they won the World that, Series yesterday. It's it's yes. as if it was yesterday. <laughs> yes, because it feels like it because I keep looking on Facebook and seeing all these memories of me posting about the games and stuff. And I'm like, oh, what a great what a nerve wracking but great like run. But yeah, Steve, if you've never seen that, I suggest to see it. It's called Let's Play Two. It's really cool because okay. Eddie is like a huge Pearl Jam fan. He's from or sorry. He's a huge <laughs> Cubs fan. He's from Evanston, so and he was at all the games. I'm sure people saw him all the time on TV. Like, yeah, he, he sung uh, the stretch several times as well. Yeah, I was I was actually there for game oh, one yeah. or game three, of the World Series. You suck, <laughs> uh, Steve. I finally paid that off. Uh, I think like two years after the fact. It was, uh, <laughs> and there's there's some people that might be listening to this. It, he knows how much it is, but it's definitely there's a comma and a two somewhere it's kind of like plinko and you got to figure out where it's at well i appreciate that you think people are listening to this that's that's optimistic well, hey i'm, I'm posting yeah. it to everybody i've been i've been telling everyone i'm gonna be on a podcast <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, I, I would say there's to me there's like I could give you songs that are skippable that I think people would skip. I know I like them, and to me, the best song on the record is not it was never a single, and it's one of the best songs they play live is Rearview Mirror. I could A great song. Anybody who has a car <laughs> and wants a song to play while they're driving a car, that is probably one of the greatest songs that you could play while you're driving in a car. Yeah, I agree. It's because it, 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 it feels like forward motion. Mm-hmm. The way that song flows is just it's it's always moving forward. There's really no no pause. It just keeps going forward, and it's got a great hook in the chorus. That I'm surprised they didn't release that as a single. You know, I'm wondering if it's it was intentional. Like, you know, they didn't want to do videos and all that. So same thing with elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. Or is uh, the one bootleg I have that says Eddie will Eddie says now the longest title in the Pearl Jam catalog elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. I'd seen the place, but no one's ever taken me. And the reason they named it that is because in the press, they were giving them a hard time that the first record only had one word song, <laughs> like release, Jeremy, Alive. So it was kind of like a smart ass thing. Here you go. Here's the longest title we could think of for a song. And it's not like they even say elderly woman. They say town. And then when you see them live when they play that song, um, it's kind of cool, especially when you're in Illinois. He'll go like, this is for people in from like Rockton or Rockford. Or he'll just start naming small towns in Illinois. Because yeah, Rockford's small. <laughs> if you're from Evanston, I guess Rockford's small. No. I get yeah, that's what I always wondered. I was like, it's like 160,000 people. I'm like, I don't know how small it is. Take, take a drive down to Lad, you know, see? Yeah. <laughs> that, how awesome would that be? It's like, this is for your Lad, Delzel, Cherry. This is for that town way down there with the chicken, you know? Yes. Oh, I was just, I was just there uh, last Thursday or Friday. No, last Thursday. I haven't had Rip's chicken in years and oh. I, I would, I would like some. It was divine, I will say that. <laughs> to, to all my friends down here in the South, there is good fried chicken, but it is never as good as Rip's chicken in Illinois. Sorry, yeah, you, Southerners. And you know what, Steve? I think it's because the way it's fried, you know, because you got to like beer battered and not, that's what we grew up with is beer battered fried chicken, you know, and I love beer battered fried chicken over anything yeah. else. So. Give me that greasy piece of bread at the end. Forget about it. Like my father-in-law thinks I'm nuts every time I do that. He's like, what are you going to eat that for? I'm like, oh, it's fantastic. What's wrong? I've met, I've met people nationwide, you know, in the army, whatever. And in other, other situations where they don't know the name of lad, they just know of 
that town with the chicken place because they'll, yep. they'll visit Chicago and or the Quad Cities for whatever business trip and they'll they'll take a ride out there. Some someone knows someone who's been there or whatever and they go out to find it. It's almost right there. Yeah, <laughs> just gotta, I just just gotta keep creeping clo- keep cre- creeping closer to the city with with larger towns and eventually I, it gets I, recognizable. If somebody knows uh, Star Rock, I always just go. All right, if you're at Star Rock and you go down there, I go exit 70, go north in this town called Lad. I go, there's a big chicken out in front. I go, they got great beer. They got like 20 different things on draft. And I go, make sure you have cash, but the fried chicken will blow your brains out. It's amazing how good it is. And they're like, oh, really? You think that's how it is? I'm like, I'm telling you, just if you like beer battered and you like grease and prepared to like not ask for a fork and knife, but... That's <laughs> all good stuff, but uh, but yeah, elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. That's it's it's a deep song that can definitely hit home for anyone that's from a small town. And you see people mm-hmm. come and go and pass and and then uh, I mean, just recently, Mike and I you know, met up at a high school reunion, and there were several times looking at people across the room like, "Who's that? Is that maybe I don't know." And then you ask somebody that you do know, is that who I think it is? Yeah, yeah, that, that's her. That's him. <laughs> yeah, I seem to recognize that face. Like you re- like, and it's a it's a great song because he like writes it from the point of view of a woman who got stuck in the small town and wanted to get out. And it was from what I've read, you know, all the Pearl Jam stuff I've ever read, that it's like her like lover or like boyfriend from like high school. And now he's like, he's back for something and he doesn't recognize her and she kind of recognizes him, but she doesn't want to say anything because she doesn't want him to know that she's still here and she never got out and she wanted to get out. And she always talked about getting out, you know, cause there are people like that in a small town who, you know, they always talk about leaving and they never do. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, and, and, you know, and I know I'm not like that, like super far away in Chicago, but like, if you ask my family and my wife's family, we're like on Neptune, you know, being up here and it's only two hours away, you know, it's, so I can't imagine like, you know, you being in, you know, Atlanta, like it's gotta be like, a different place like we it's 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 crazy to me that because they're stuck in their little rut and they won't go out to see anything yeah it, it's definitely for for me it, it is you know difficult at times living you know 12 hours away drive uh you know you don't get to see family as much however you know i kind of cut that cord at 18 when i joined the army i was i was gone gone so it, when that, when the job opportunity opened up in Atlanta, it was a little easier for me to just pack up and go because I had only been home a year ish before I went, ended up in Iraq. So not, not enough to put down new roots. Right. And it, and it's not, and it's no disrespect because, you know, my sister, my brother, my parents, Marissa's sister, her brothers, you know, they all live there. I have great friends that still live there. It's just, you know, some people, decide that they want to stay and some people want to go and but then some people get stuck and that's kind of what the song's about is they got stuck and 
and it's someone that wanted to get out. That's, that's the difference. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's, and that's hard. That's anywhere. That doesn't matter if it's a small town or a big city or anything, you know, there are people that are, Hey, they were born and raised in New York city and they just can't get out. You know, they can't figure out a way or they don't have the, honestly, the balls to just walk out and just walk out of it. And that's kind of like where Ruby mirror is too. It's like, that's kind of the song that says I'm out. You know, yeah, I'm out. I'm this is it. And yeah, whatever, whatever happened, th- that person's leaving it in the past sees it in his rear view mirror. It's, it's about leaving a bad situation or not necessarily bad, just leaving something. Yeah. And some people were even talking about how daughter ties to river mirror that, you know, the shades go down in daughter because that's about a learning disability. And back then, you know, even you know, even in the early nineties that people thought people with learning disabilities were just, you know, bad kids, you know, they didn't want to mm-hmm. pay attention and, and the shades go down, who knows something sinister is happening after the fact, like they're beating their kids or something like that. And then in rearview mirror, finally the shades are raised. Like that's one of the, the lyrics of the song that, Hey, that person finally got out of that situation and they are putting, everything behind them. So it, it, it it's a, I can see how they I, tie together. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I, I it's never not even a stretch. Thought, yeah. I never even thought about that. I kind of saw that today. I was like kind of surprised because I just love Ruby mirror. Such a great song. I mean, but like elderly woman, such a great song. Leash is actually, I'll give a shout out to uh, our classmate, Kevin Wilson. That was his favorite song growing up. And so Leash was always the uh, song that we wanted to see when we saw him in concert. And I think we might have saw it one time. But that's a great song. Indifference which is the last song of the record. Honestly, I don't know if there's a version out there, but there should be. But Ben Harper does a version of it, like consistently, consistently live. And it is, Eddie's a good singer and I love Eddie Vedder's voice. And even though he spawned Nickelback and Creed, which we, you know, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing he can do about that. That's his voice. You know, I would say that Eddie is a unique singer. Difference though, man, Ben Harper's vocals on the times I've seen him sing that song is so because that guy has got so much soul in his voice and just like passion. Like it's almost like he wrote the song. Like honestly, it's it's fantastic version. So if you could find that, I honestly you well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. That's a great version of that song. And you know, and I and I will say like I love Dissident. Dissident's a great song. You know, and Go is just such a kick out 
the motherfucking jams at the beginning and animal like brings it around in because that was the original title of the record was supposed to be five against one it was supposed to be that and then they scrapped it so that's why like a lot of the cds just said pearl jam and not pearl jam versus mm-hmm. and like the cd i have because i bought it like the first week like me and nine hundred thousand other people that uh we're all friends now that you know bought that record the first week it just said pearl jam and then after that like the first week or two it said pearl jam versus on like the the spine mm. I have yeah, I have the big box set, you know, vinyl version of it with all the B sides and live records. But um, I mean, honestly, and, and then we haven't even talked about like, you know, Blood, which is kind of the almost like a almost like their first kind of punk song, if you want to say it, because it's real. <laughs> It's another one that that I have as a uh, funky. You know, just there's a lot of lot of funk on this album. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about the drummer Dave Abrizi. He doesn't get a lot of credit as much as he should because he was a drummer on Verses and Vitology, and then part of No Code, and then uh, Jack Iron Because I don't know if a lot of people know this that Pearl Jam was basically like Spinal Tap, where they have had multiple drummers um none of them have died like on stage or anything like that like in spinal tap but you know matt cameron was their fourth or fifth drummer and he's been there the longest and nobody in the world thinks that matt cameron is a drummer of pearl jam he's a drummer of soundgarden you know but he's been the drummer for pearl jam since 2000 oh wow (laughs) 21 years and the band's been a band for 30 years but yeah blood is just like obviously this is a young Eddie Vedder that's doing that with his vocals. You know, there's no way that a fifty five year old Eddie Vedder is like ripping those like he used to. Where he has that long stretch of your blood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just that the way he holds it, it looks like it hurts, you know, and then I would be remiss not to talk about rats because um, that's always one that I'm sure everybody that listens to that record always skipped. It is a fantastic version live. To me, like Versus has always been, this is the only record that there's no fluff in it. Like 10, 10 is a great record, but it starts off like with that beginning, which they, it was called Master and Slave. Like the beginning and you could actually play that record like looping. And I never really cared for that. But this was the first one that was actually that was also produced by Brendan O'Brien, who produced like. I think Pearl Jam's got like what 11 records or something 12 records and I think he produced like 10 of them. This has been like their longtime producer. This is the first one they produced. There's been like quotes from the band that was like this is how we kind of want to recorded the first record. 
Now, I can't imagine, because this sounds raw. Like, Versus is really raw. It's very open. The drumming is very, like, animalistic. And the the guitars. And Eddie's, like, kind of howling pretty much through the whole record, you know. Except for the ballads. He kind of calms down. But, like, Go and Animal and Leash and, you know, Blood. Those are, like, vocal cord shredders, man. Like, I don't know how he does, like, that obviously I'm not a singer. <laughs> I know all the words, as I always tell my wife, I know all the words and I'm cursed with the voice that can't sing. One of my favorite covers that they do. And I, and I didn't even know that they did it until I saw them live was uh, <clears throat> a cover of the who's rain over me. Oh yeah. And he belts that. I mean, Roger Daltrey's hard to compete with on as far as vocals there, but he does. And it's, it's an amazing cover when you get a, when you listen to that one. They also cover, um, which I don't know if they played that when you were there, but uh, they cover Bob O'Reilly all the time. Honestly, uh, no disrespect to The Who, and it's my brother's favorite song, and it's my brother's favorite band, but Pearl Jam Live, Bob O'Reilly, is it's a better version than the record that The Who does. <laughs> and the only reason is, here's here's my argument, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I think it's, you get it's some hate a mail on great, this fantastic one. song, Roger Daltrey. <laughs> I know, and I love The Who. However, it's not synthesized like Bob O'Reilly is. Yeah, yeah. Because that was later Who when they got into the, yeah. Right, but that's all a guitar, though. Like, that is, their live version of it for Pearl Jam is all guitar. So, like, Mike McCready or Stone Gossard is playing that synthesized part as a guitar. That's why I like it. Because it's pure, like, rock, which, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm never going to disagree. I I love Bob O'Reilly. It's a fantastic song. But, like, Eddie always covers, like, The Who. I've seen him cover, uh, I've seen Pearl Jam. He he does a great cover of uh, The Beatles, you know, you got to hide your love away. I was just going to say, hide your love away. They actually did. um, Which is actually, now now that I think about it, it's very reminiscent of Elderly Woman. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably a, a deep influence there. And they did, um, they did. I got a feeling they do uh, Masters of War, which is a Bob Dylan song. Uh, they cover Neil Young songs, which is they do Rocking the Free World all the time as one of their closers. I, th- I think there's a, uh, a version on YouTube of Pearl Jam with with Neil Young doing um, Cowgirl in the Sand. That's like 20 minutes long. Oh yeah, because you got to have a 20 minute long Cowgirl in the Sand. Yeah, but what's great is. They and and somebody said this to me once that Eddie Vedder never wanted to be like like a rock star. He just wanted to be a classic rock star. That's why he had they had such hard troubles like the first couple records is that it was too much. And now, you know, seeing them live, it's like going to see the dead. You know, it's it's like an experience where everybody, you know, everybody talks about, oh, man, did you see these guys play this song and see this? So my wife and I were in England for, she wasn't my wife. We just started dating and we're probably dating like six, seven months. And I'm like, Hey, do you want to go to England? I have tickets to Pearl Jam. So (laughs) we went and uh, Pearl Jam played the opening night and there's something around Eddie's vocals. And I could tell that his vocals were shit. And I kept telling her, I'm like, I go, this doesn't sound right. You know, she's like, no, it was her first Pearl Jam show. So she doesn't know. I think at the time it was like my 15th or 16th. So I'm like, yeah, I know what any better sounds like. So the show was great. And uh, I, I met up with some people that I met in Chicago 
his name was Seth. He was from um, Egypt. He was from Cairo. And then this other guy, Matt, who was from uh, England, and he looked like Gavin Rosdale from Bush. Like, Steve, I'm not even joking. He was that good looking of a man. Like, he looked like <laughs> like Gwyneth Paltrow was, or uh, what's her name? Um, Stefani. Gwen Stefani was going to jump out of, like, behind him. And so we met these guys in England, like, at the show. And then the next night, the show gets canceled because Eddie lost his voice. And we're sitting at these bars, and we meet people from uh, Tokyo and China and, like, all over the world. And I'm talking to this girl from Tokyo, and she's like, oh, have you ever been to a show in the United States? I'm like, yeah, I live there. Obviously, I've seen a couple shows. And I'm like, how about you? And she's like, yeah, I was at the Philadelphia show in 2016. And I'm like, the one they played 10? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, I was there. And, and like, the community is nuts because, like. It is nuts, yeah. You see these people at these shows, and it's a community. And it's, 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 they are kind of like the Grateful Dead, man. And it's. That's cool. I never thought I would be in like a Grateful Dead community, <laughs> but like, I guess my band's been around along for 30 years and not a lot of, not a lot of people can say that their favorite band since they were 11 is still a band that I can go see today. And now I have money to go see them, you know? <laughs> so I, I was supposed to go see them in um, Oakland last year in St. Louis last year in Nashville last year. Still got the tickets I can't wait. I can't wait to see them. Like, I'm excited. Their new record came out last year. It is a band that there's never a time that I've ever gone to a show and said, man, I wish they wouldn't have played that song. It's just it's a band that's, you know, been with me my whole life. It's it's the band that was our wedding song. It's I always buy every like newborn that like I'm related to, like if it's my brother's kids or my sister's kids or Marissa's you know, uh, brothers and sisters and my cousin, Danny, I buy him the Pearl jam, uh, alive, like onesie, like guaranteed. <laughs> I'm trying to brainwash him early. <laughs> what was that t-shirt you had in high school with like the kickstand or something? I got it. Let me get, I'll show you. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to bring it out just for you, Steve. i got to find it, though. This is a pause point of the show. There it is. Oh, it's a Soundgarden shirt. Oh, <laughs> Come stand me up. That's it. Uh, you would get pissed when people would ask, what does it mean? <laughs> so this shirt is the Pearl Jam black shirt. As you can see, it's a little worn. A little worn. I got this at the... Uh, Peru Man Alive in 1992. I begged my mom for it. And I have had this shirt. And next year will be, the shirt will be 30 years old. So, <laughs> it's a, so I wear this to per, every Pearl Jam sh- concert I go to. Nice. So Pearl Jam Versus made your top spot. What was on your short list? Oh, man. Yeah, I know when you asked me that, I was like, oh, I have like a thousand records I could talk about. Um My top five favorite records of all time, to quote uh, Rob Gordon, is Pearl Jam Versus, Radiohead, OK Computer, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, and The Spider from Mars. Nice. Um, Led Zeppelin Three. Excellent album. And The Beatles Revolver. Revolver. And The Beatles Revolver. Now, the only one of the reasons I kind of 
went with versus is okay computer is one of the like critics darling for the like of all time okay computer and so is revolver and ziggy stardust is like i could have talked about bowie but i don't know enough about bowie but led zeppelin 3 honestly like that's one i could probably do a whole show about just from like the influences from my parents the one the one artist i'm gonna give a shout out to um honestly is uh jason isbel i don't know if you know who he is um he is from um alabama he's from uh kind of like the muscle shoals area uh he's a um alt country or you know he was in the drive-by truckers which is okay yeah uh he was on yeah he was on uh three of their records he left uh had a solo career and his solo stuff is amazing um zach brown actually covered one of his songs uh uh dress blues which is a big you know it's a sad, very sad military song. He also wrote the song um, uh, "Maybe It's Time" from the uh, the movie uh, "Star Is Born" that uh, Bradley Cooper oh, okay. sang yeah. the whole time. Um, so yeah, check him out. Honestly, if anything, all those other th- four records are records that people know. Um, but Jason Isbell is one of the greatest songwriters that's come out, and he's our age. One of the greatest songwriters that's come out in the last like twenty. 20 years easily like got stuff on there that'll make you cry and steve you have a daughter yeah oh yeah yeah there's yeah there's a song on his new record it's um it's all about his daughter growing up and stuff like that and uh i don't even have a daughter and i cried and i played it to all my friends who have daughters they are not happy with me when they got done hearing that song so um jason isbell is yeah it's the first concert i saw since uh the lockdown um, he was fantastic live, but I will say the the last concert I saw before the lockdown was uh, Tool at the United Center. Everyone should do it because the light show alone is worth it <laughs> for Tool. Uh, great, great band. <laughs> right, right before the lockdown happened, uh, my dad and brothers all came down and uh, we got to see the Eagles. Nice. Which I've seen several times. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands, uh, but we got to see him perform hotel california in its entirety really that's awesome Down, downtown atlanta it was, it was fantastic it, it really was and then i think they maybe did one more show before they had to cancel the rest of the tour and they're just now kicking it back going uh but that was great that was actually my wife and i's first concert we went together i bought that for her for her uh for christmas and we went in like january february and uh, I bought the whole experience at, like, the United Center where you could, like, drink before and have food and everything. She's, like, 27. And she's standing up and singing and wooing. Like, woo! Like, you guys, this is the best song. And it's, like, you know, an Eagles concert with people are like our parents' age. You're, like, just sit down. We just want to sit here. She's dancing and just <laughs> the only person in the place. My, my parallel to that is when I was dating my wife, I took her to Roger Waters in downtown Atlanta and he did the nice. wall in its entirety. And she got to see me, you know, in my super Pink Floyd mode, just, yes. you know, knowing every word and, and trying to explain the, the what's going on on stage. And, and she got really into it. She loved it. And, um, and she's still here. So she hasn't ran away after that, but, <laughs> uh, uh, but with, that was, that was a phenomenal. I mean, I, I, 
I went all out with floor seats and, you know, it's like, you could almost oh, yeah. touch, touch nice. the pig. I mean, that was, that was great. You're building the wall huge. It was fantastic. That is honestly, I feel like you, I feel like I want to sit and have a, a conversation with you just about Floyd. I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, this is all off, you know, off the subject and everything, but like, like my favorite is wish you were here because I love the shine on sweets, mm-hmm. both of them, you know, like that's my jam. I really like the the big long, and I love animals too. A- animals is my top Pink Floyd album. Okay, it, yeah, it is that, one that I, I mean, a lot of people skip skip it overall. They, uh, and I mean, I, I love Dark Side. I love Wish You Were Here. Yeah. I love the Wall. Th- those are those are great. But if I'm going to just pull pull two albums that I want to hear and I want to listen to, it's going to be Animals and Metal. Yeah. Oh yeah, Metal, especially with oh, Echoes. Oh. Echoes. If you really want to jam out for 20 minutes, David Gilmore had a, a live album recently, live at Gnast, the Iceland place, uh, but also live in Pompeii, two, two live albums. But both of them have like a 23 live version of, uh, of Echoes. And it, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. Richard, Just, Richard Wright was still alive and he was uh, joining them on tour. So you had two Floyd members on there. And it is there's 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 so much added to that live version because the I think the uh, the disc track is 16 minutes so this is 23 minutes and they just they add so much they jam it's it's really really a good version. See now I feel like I'm going to start a podcast and it's going to be like let's talk about your favorite band and then just <laughs> let's go because I I was yeah because I was going to say like I know that you and I have talked about the Floyd like N- numerous occasions yeah. I, I enjoyed that stuff like without even drinking, like, and everybody was like, how could you like Pink Floyd? Well, without the, Pink Floyd that? Like, was, was huge in, in Hank's garage. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we dove into their entire catalog all the way back yeah. to, to Piper at the gates of dawn. And, and that Highly was underrated like Piper, the, I, the, the pop songs on Piper's that's good. Psychedelic pipe or pop right there. Well, it, Pink Floyd is a good, good example of a band that went through many transitions and had some horrible albums. Umaguma. Uma Guma is, is true. I mean, what's that one song on there? Uh, several species of small, sc- yes. small furry animals grew scurrying in a cave, grooving to a pic where Roger Waters is doing like Scottish accents yeah. and stuff. Like yeah, what this, the fuck is going on here? <laughs> they were as experimental and crazy in those middle years as you can get when Sid Barrett was gone and they were trying to find their footing as a band and that's where metal yeah. came in and metal's not a perfect album they've got a song on there called called Seamus that it's literally dog d- yeah david gilmore's dog is howling <laughs> for half the song it's, it's terrible but, but yeah it's, it's one of the reasons i started this is so that i don't necessarily have to narrow it down to my number one i mean i i've got so many different options in in my own head it might be floyd it might be the eagles it might be jackson brown it might be the blues brothers soundtrack it it might be smashing pumpkins i mean i've got all right what smashing pumpkins number one what is it oh i I, as far as if it was this podcast and it was was a smashing pumpkins album it would it would be it would be melancholy for me i i I love siamese dream siamese dream is great but melancholy was the one that I, you know, kind of discovered first and, and then I went backwards to Siamese Dream, but Melancholy was my in. And uh, it, it was just, is that double album and every, and then the box set after, yeah. say I mentioned the Hank's Garage again, we dove into every single one of those boxes. That was uh, the, 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 the single box set. set that was like the, 
Like the Beetlejuice, yeah, the, the Beetlejuice flies like high. fucking uh, box. It's on the shelf right I, here. I know. It's, I, got, right here. I, got, I know. I got one. It's at my parents' house, but it, it's not with me. But because um, yeah. I don't have a house. Like, yeah, they've got this great twenty-five-minute song called "Pistachio Medley" on it, where it's just a mishmash of like all of their uh, yeah, outtakes. I remember that? Yeah, and it and it, and it kind of it and it rocks. Yes. Um, because you've got, uh, I mean, you've got covers of, of My Blue Heaven in, on there. And then you've got like a song called Tribute to Johnny, um, where it's just thrashing guitar for three minutes. Oh, and he's... I mean, this, this, it goes everywhere. He's a good guitar player. I just wish he wouldn't decide that he wanted a band. I mean, because he's not a band guy. He says he is, but the guy's not a ba- I mean, because he played all the instruments on, on Siamese Dream. Like, that's all him. Yeah. Like, what the hell do you have everybody else there for? Like, I mean, it's not like James I is a bad guitar player. He was on a perfect circle. Like, you know, the guy can play guitar. And, and Jimmy Chamberlain is a hell of a drummer. Maybe DRC's not the greatest bass player, but like, dude. Yeah, uh, it, my my cousin, the one that did Band on the Run, he, he wants me to kind of finish season one with, with me in the hot seat. And, and I, I don't know if I'm going to or not. It all depends because I, I don't want to narrow it down to one. I, I don't. I think I'm, he's got to do I, it. I'm, I'm, I'm real big into. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm real big into classic rock. I, I'm, I'm real big into, to, you know, modern rock up until about 2000, 2001. Then it's kind of blah to me. Um, uh, but then I also am a huge fan of New Orleans yeah. jazz. I mean, that's where I got married, and that's I, I was listening to jazz. You know up until I turned on Pearl Jam today. <laughs> well, Mike, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was definitely a pleasure to sit and talk with you about Pearl Jam's verses and many other things. Uh, and, and we will, we'll have you back on. You can talk Led Zeppelin three next time. I'm all for that. Uh, please tell our listeners uh, anything you want to pitch or our mention for them to go f- seek and find out. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate this, man. It was fun. Uh, yapping about music and everything else. Um, you don't have to find me anywhere. I don't have anything to promote, but I work for hickoryfarms.com. So I would be remiss if you don't go to hickoryfarms.com for all of your gifting needs this, uh, the holiday season. And also, uh, shout out to Beguile Brewing Company for, uh, you know, helping me with their ghost man on third, uh, pints for, uh, this, uh, little, uh, podcast. Sounds good. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, man. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. And as I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.